And I think when kids feel success, they start feeling less anxious because they're realizing I can do this is such an important thing for kids to feel. I can do this is something that we all want to feel. And it really helps us take a breath and realize I may actually have this. I didn't think I did, but I may have this. And if I have this, what else can I get? What else can I do well? And that's where we want to get to. Welcome to the Parenting ADHD Podcast, where I share insights and strategies on raising kids with ADHD straight from the trenches. I'm your host, Penny Williams. I'm a parenting coach, author, ADHD-aholic, and mindset mama, honored to guide you on the journey of raising your atypical kid. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Parenting ADHD Podcast. I'm really excited to have Amanda Morin back on the podcast with us from understood.org. And we're going to talk today about a study that Understood did around the pandemic and learning and the other impacts that it's had for kids and how maybe you can help your kids moving forward as we try to move away from the tougher parts of the pandemic and back to some semblance of normalcy, a different normalcy, I'm sure. Amanda, thanks for being here. I always enjoy our conversations. Will you start, just introduce yourself to everyone, who you are and what you do? Sure. And it's a pleasure to talk to you today. I'm Amanda Morin. I'm the Associate Director of Thought Leadership and Expertise at Understood. And I'm a subject matter expert there. So I do a lot of the work around the kinds of things that we talk about, the learning and thinking differences. I'm also a mom to three kids all three of whom have learning differences in one way or another, and I'm a former teacher. So I come at this from a multitude of perspectives and just really understand the experience of, like like your experience, Penny, and the experience of the people we're talking to today, too. Yeah, yeah, so important. Um, and I love Understood. I love that the materials are so easy to understand for everyone, and kind of bite-sized information, I find it. And I think that's really so helpful to share the information with others, with teachers and other people to understand our kids better. Absolutely. And I mean, that's our goal is to provide those resources and tools and space and expertise for anybody who needs it, right? We want to make sure that we're there at any critical moment in their lives and for the people around them as well. Love it. Let's dive into the study. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the study, what was done and what the results looked like? Yeah, definitely. So we wanted to understand better the specific challenges that that families and children were facing during this, what started out as a year of remote learning and now has become you know, 16 months, 17 months or something like that. And we were looking to see what the impact was financially, emotionally, academically, And what we did was surveyed 1,500 families. So we got a really interesting look into their houses, essentially, because they were really honest with us and gave us a perspective of what's going on. Half of those families had a child who had already been identified as having some sort of learning and thinking difference, and half of those were families whose children hadn't yet been identified. So we got a really good comparison to see what it looked like in measuring their attitudes and actions and and knowing what does it look like? What does the return to school look like? How are kids doing? What are parents worried about? And what have they noticed about their kids over this period of time? And we found, you know, there are a lot of findings. Some of them were academic, some of them were financial, but I think some of the most interesting 
findings were around emotional health for students and kids in this time frame. Yeah. Yeah. And parents were just so willing to talk about this in a way that was extraordinary and I think is going to help us understand what we do next. Yeah. And I find that kids with learning differences already have a lot of struggle with emotions around school anyway. You know, when school is really hard for you, it's already an anxiety-provoking, stressful, emotional thing. And so many of our kids with learning differences also do struggle with emotional awareness and regulation. So it's really a lot of layers there that are impacting them. And when we add the struggle that the pandemic has caused for not just learning, but for connecting with others, which I think has been one of the biggest impacts is that lack of connection. I'm seeing it in so many ways with so many kids just being sort of knocking them off their center entirely. Completely. And I think, you know, it's not just that lack of connection too, right? We found that the changing, right, this changing in schools and changing in how we're delivering instruction and whether you're home and whether you're not home, that's really hard on kids that we know have trouble with change anyway. And one of the things that the study raised is that the children in the families that had already had an identified learning difference, that they were like three times as likely to have more depression related to those schooling changes. And that nearly half of their parents noticed behavioral changes around that. Things about difficulty with lack of routine and difficulty managing emotions, like you're talking about that regulation of emotion and the inability to focus. So it's really noticeable to parents in a way that they may not have seen it before. Mm -hmm. In part, I think that's probably because they were home with their kids more. But in part, I think it's because of what you're talking about is that difficulty in in really adapting to a difference and an experience where you don't have your network of support, those kids that you maybe felt camaraderie with, mm-hmm. right? Felt that ability to to bond with. Um, they weren't present. And so they, you know, our, our students have been much more vulnerable. This doubled rate of extreme levels of anxiety is really an extraordinary finding. Yeah, it's, it's so huge. I mean, it's just going to be, I think, impactful for students for years to come. Yeah. It's going to take a lot of time for our kids with learning differences, ADHD, maybe autism spectrum, to get to a place where they're comfortable with school again, where they're comfortable with how they are learning, how they are interacting with other kids. I talked to so many parents who are seeing just really different behavior from their kids. And I keep reminding them, like, They've had a year and a half of very little connection with others. Right. They have had their world completely turned upside down with zero control over it, which we all know when you feel like you don't have any control, that anxiety spikes. And they just feel like they, I think, have no no purpose anymore almost. You know, I one thing that I've talked with several parents about is that as parents, we've seen really hard times in the world and we've seen sort of this recovery from that. And our kids who are from five to 20 years old have not seen that. They haven't experienced that in their life. And I think it makes them feel more helpless and hopeless. Totally. I mean, and I think while we've seen 
what it can look like to come back from something. This is an experience that nobody's experienced before, right? This is something completely unusual. And while our children often turn to us for guidance around this, we're flying solo here too, right? This is something completely new. And interestingly, the survey raised that too, is that parents are feeling really isolated as well. 57%, which I think is a fairly high number of parents say they feel isolated because they're not sure how to help. And I think part of that is around, because this is not something that we have a model for, right? And so the best we can do in some circumstances is say that out loud, I think, is to be able to say to our kids, this is new for all of us. There will be something that comes next because I've seen in other situations that we can come back from things. But I think it's important to really find those examples for our kids and even just to admit to them that this is new for us. We feel isolated. We feel stressed. And we can work through this together is a really important component of this. Because as you said before, you know, there's this kind of new normal and it's then it keeps changing. You know, in our house, we kind of joke that it's the next normal because it kind of phases around, right? Yeah. None of us know where we're going from here. None of us know what it looks like because we haven't experienced anything like this before. And frankly, I never imagined such a thing, honestly. Of course. So, you know, for our kids, they have to be doubly blindsided, I think, or maybe not. Maybe they are more open-minded about how the world is now because they haven't seen as much of it prior as we have and where we've come from to get here today. Let's shift a little bit and talk about what parents can do now to help their kids with their mental and emotional health and then re-engaging in learning. I think so many of our kids with challenges just completely shut down with learning. I know my own son did before he graduated in January. Um, I have talked to countless other families whose kids just, they don't want to get on online classes. They don't want to do the work. They just want to kind of avoid, honestly. Um, Yeah. Which is something we've dealt with with school for a long time, but I'm seeing just in general, so many kids. I know there are some kids who online school has been great for and they have really thrived, but a lot of them, it's the opposite and it has been really detrimental. So what do we do as parents? You know, we're, we're in the summer right now. So some kids and families are trying to deal with maybe some learning loss, keep Mm -hmm. their kids engaged in learning within a month or so, month and a half will be going back to school for a lot of families. What should be our focus? Right. So I think the first thing that I would say is to take that deep breath, right? And take a breath and evaluate what's going on around you. I, you know, I completely agree. We've seen kids shut down. I know my 11-year-old, he lost half of his fourth grade year and his entire fifth grade year now is going into middle school mm. without having had that experience. You know, I don't know that he's lost that entire learning, but his anxiety is sky high. And as you know, he has ADHD, he's autistic, he has, he has a lot going on. So his anxiety is sky high. And one of the things that we've had to stop to do is to really get a baseline of where he is emotionally, in part because I'm a pretty anxious person too. Mm -hmm. And so I have to realize that I have to sort out my anxiety from his anxiety and to be able to ask those questions of him. You know, how are you feeling? Do you have concerns? Compared to how you were feeling before the pandemic, how do you think you feel now? I think those baselines are really important. And we can do some informal assessing as parents. But I think if, you know, if your child is really shutting down, if you're really seeing significant depression and anxiety, it's a really good idea to talk to your healthcare provider, first of all, and, and just check in. 
when it comes to learning, I think there are multiple choices here, right? There are parents who are looking at how do we remediate over the summer? How do we gain some of that learning back? And then there are parents who are thinking about how do I build that learning into the fun experiences of summer again? And I think in my house, that's the way we're leaning is how do you build learning into everyday experiences so kids can be kids again too? Yeah. And I think that's really important to realize is that that anxiety, that avoidance is showing us that they need to be re-engaged in some way. And so what can we find that re-engages them? Is it gardening? Is it meeting with one friend? Is it having FaceTime with a friend if you have FaceTime? Is it, you know, is it finding that way that they can re-engage with the world maybe a little at a time instead of having to look at it as I have to get out there right now? And I think that's the part that's overwhelming for a lot of kids is the, this is right now. And we're starting completely again without any re-entry plan, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's that re-entry planning that I think is important to think about. Yeah, I love that you use that terminology, re-entry plan. It does kind of feel yeah. like that is what is happening. It's crazy. And I love that you talked about teasing apart what is our anxiety as parents and what is our kids' anxiety. This is something that kind of came up for me a couple of years ago that I never realized I was doing. I never realized that I was putting so many of my own anxieties on my kids. Yeah, You know, I have generalized anxiety and social anxiety as well. And so being really aware and mindful of how much we're doing that is super, super important, especially when we're going through something that is anxiety provoking for almost everyone anyway. Right. We don't want to add to that. We really need to keep our own stuff separate from what our kids are going through. And the support is super important too. I'm wondering about a lot of our kids with learning challenges will have some sort of special education caseworker or teacher or someone that they're assigned to during school time. And I'm wondering about reaching out to them just before school starts and maybe working on a plan together for that re-entry and what that looks like. For my own son, we always met with a special ed teacher during the meet the teacher, which was usually a day or two ahead of time. We made sure to find that person, get introduced and make sure that my son knew that that was his person. If anything was overwhelming, if he was anxious, whatever was happening, he was to go find that person, right? That was his kind of safety net. Right. And I think that that can be super helpful now too for kids as we re-enter to know that they have someone and to have a plan. A plan is so helpful when you have anxiety. Absolutely. And I think that this year in particular, it's going to be really important to engage the people who are part of the plan before, Mm -hmm. you know, so the previous case manager, the previous teacher that your child felt connected with, how can they bridge that relationship to the new one for your child? I think it's really an important component of this as well, Absolutely, because they had that person before. What they need to do is to be able to help transfer that relationship over. And some of that's being done over the summer for some kids, because there's been, as you, I think you probably know, there's been some really good federal funding coming down for summer programs. And so some school districts are actually continuing learning over the summer. And whether or not you talk to your school district and decide that's something you want to do with your child, it gives you access to the teachers in a way that maybe wasn't there before. So to be able to start planning over the summer and start thinking about how do we introduce each other to each other, right? How do we all? And I think the other piece that I really want to make sure that people understand is 
your child's not the only one feeling this way. Regardless of whether they have learning challenges, we're all jumping into the world anew. Mm -hmm. And I think to let kids know that they're not the only ones, that this is going to be hard for everyone. It may be a little bit harder for them, but it's going to be hard for everyone. And then give them some of the skills to like really believe that they're resilient. And I think when I use that word, I want to be really careful and not say like, everybody can bounce back because I'm not talking about bouncing back. I'm talking about the ability to persevere. And I think our kids don't always remember or know how much they're able to persevere. So to point that out as they do it in those incremental steps, like, you know what? You did a really good job of realizing it's okay that so-and-so isn't wearing a mask because they're fully vaccinated and you are okay with that. That's like a little step in persevering, mm-hmm. right? In adjusting to change. Yeah. And those are the kinds of things that matter. <laughs> yeah, so much. And and I love that it's just the little things, like just a conversation about whether or not someone's wearing a mask and how to get okay with it or, you know, to be sort of settled with that, yeah. the way that that's panning out right now, especially. And um, my daughter who's in college is having a hard time with that. She feels like it's super strange not to wear a mask now, even though she's vaccinated. And so she's really struggling with like that, just that transition as a 20 something can be hard. So imagine what it's like for our younger kids and our kids with even more anxiety. One thing I wanted to mention is that summer is a great time for our kids to feel some successes Mm -hmm. because feeling some successes will make them feel more capable of walking into these challenges that they're going to have to go through these transitions. And those can be super small. They don't have to be around learning. You know, it can really be anything. If your kid brushes their teeth tomorrow morning without you asking first, it's a success, right? Notice it. Be excited about it. That noticing is such a big deal for our kids' mental health. And those successes are wiring the brain for more positivity and more successes. Like it's not just from their mental health, but it actually biologically sets them up for more of that, which is amazing. And that's really it is so powerful. It is. And it's so funny that you use the word notice. Not funny because you use it, but funny because that's one of the things understood that org is doing this year is we're relaunching our take note initiative and take note is n is notice in the note so it's notice observe talk and engage and that first component that n is notice notice what's going on so you can start observing where it happens talking about it and then engaging with your child and so i love that you use the word notice because it's really important that we don't take those things for granted it's really important that we are able to look not just at the challenges, but at the successes as well. And I love your example of just brushing the teeth without being asked. It's a perfect example. You know, there are things that our kids don't even think about as successes. And maybe we as parents don't either. You know, my son this morning, he had his computer booted up and ready to get onto his remote class without me asking. And I'm realizing now that I don't think I said anything about that. And I'm going to have to go back after the fact and, and, and say, you know, that was great. That was really something I didn't have to do that for the first time in, in many, many weeks. Yeah. So you just reminded me, I need to do that too, is, is be noticing some of these things as well. And I think that's the big thing is that so many things that are pretty big for our kids, we don't take notice of, we take it for granted because, you know, most 15-year-olds 
should, right, which is a word that's a red flag for us as parents of totally. um, neuroatypical kids, should be able to brush their teeth every day without being asked, right? And so we tend to take these kind of things for granted and we don't notice that, hey, they're finally like kicking in with this thing and it's happening today and it's so valuable. And that noticing of that and saying something of something just like brushing your teeth without being asked, it triggers something for them that makes them much more likely to be able to repeat that behavior. Right. 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 And it can translate into learning and school and transition. I was just going to say the same thing. That's really interesting. I think we're on the same wavelength (sighs) there. It does translate. It does translate because what you're talking about is like that beginning of remembering how to have a routine. And, you know, in the the survey that we did, 48% of parents saying that they noticed their kids really have a lack of routine. That's half of, half of the kids, right? Half of them have lost their Mm -hmm. routine. So getting back into a routine is going to be so important. I mean, your summer routine is going to be a little different than your school routine, but having one matters. Big. And right. It, It matters so much. And whether it's something that you work with your child to write down so they know what their routine is whether it's something that they talk through with you, whether it's something you have to remind them and the day you don't have to remind them, you're celebrating, it's really important to start getting that back. And I think when kids feel success, they start feeling less anxious because they're realizing Mm -hmm. I can do this is such an important thing for kids to feel. I can do this is something that we all want to feel. And it really helps us take a breath and realize I may actually have this. I didn't think I did, but I may have this. And if I have this, what else can I get? What else can I do well? And that's where we want to get to is once it's, you know, baby steps, it's that I can do this, which means I think I can do this, which means I think I can do this. And we sort of build our kids out of that anxiety, success by success by success. And that translates into learning too. You know, if they're feeling confident and competent in other areas that can move into learning in school, that can move into social interactions that are maybe going to be more awkward and anxiety provoking to starting out. It's so, so valuable for kids to just have successes. And I really appreciate that you brought up baby steps because I think it's so important in transition for parents to understand that we just need to take these tiny incremental steps forward. We're not going to go from really hard to, oh, nothing happened. It's great. I'm good. I'm going for it. Right? Right, right. And to remember that the world has been different for a year and a half now. And that going back isn't going to be easy is I think a really big thing for both parents and kids. And to be able to say, I know you're stressed. I know you don't want to go back to school. I know you're worried about how much you might be behind. I think that's that's a valuable thing to be able to say. And then also, I think as we start building those relationships with the teachers and the case managers and the people who are going to surround our kids once they go back to school, start talking about how we're actually literally going to look at their skills instead of just guessing, right? Mm-hmm. To me, that's the place that I actually feel really strongly about is making sure we're not just assuming that kids have lost skills, that we're really figuring out ways to check in on that. How are we assessing them to see where they are now? And by assessing, I don't mean tests, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, looking at those skills and, and, you know, having them demonstrate them and show what they're able to do and where they might need a little support so we can actually see 
what baby steps we need to take to get them back to where we want them to feel confident and able to move forward a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk for a minute about mental health, emotional health support at school. I think it's important for parents and kids to know that there are supports for that kind of thing in the school system and that there are people at school that they can talk to and I just wanted to talk about that for a minute because I think a lot of kids are going to need that. And maybe some families don't have access to private therapy and can get some support in the school in that way. Or or again, have somebody at school that they know they can go to if they're really struggling in that area. I think that's such a perfect thing to think about too. I mean, a lot of school districts are thinking about how do we support kids socially and emotionally as they go back into school. And I mean, the teachers is a starting point, but there are also social workers within schools. There are guidance counselors. There are school psychologists. There are other mental health professionals. And I think if you are really wondering who can you talk to, start by asking those questions. Who's available to support my child? And how do they know my child already? And if they don't, how can we start building a relationship? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's a matter of just like, starting slowly and just saying, you know, this is so-and-so, this is what they do for work. And they're there if you want to pop in and, and say, I'm having a really tough day. I'm feeling really anxious. I'm feeling really down. Because while some kids already have those relationships, other kids may not, and they need to start building them. And as parents, we can facilitate that by modeling it and saying, I'm going to go in and talk to the guidance counselor or the social worker. Would you like to come with me? And we can meet them together. You know, those kinds of things are really important. And I know that schools are definitely thinking about this on a bigger level. But I think especially for kids who may already have individualized education programs or 504 plans, it really is a good idea to sit down with the team and talk about how we're building that into their support plans. What are we adding to make sure that we are setting them up for emotional success and not just academic success? Yeah, and I like the idea of really establishing a connection there, a relationship, maybe before your child is having such a hard time that they need that person right away. Right. So they're building this rapport with them so that they know they can trust them, they know they can go to them. I think it's so valuable. We have leaned on school guidance counselors Mm -hmm. at many different times in the last, you know, 13, 14 years in school. And it has been super helpful, especially socially. And I think that, you know, we haven't talked a lot about that social piece of it, but for kids with ADHD, autism spectrum, even learning disabilities sometimes can really, really struggle with social interaction. And so they're already thinking it's super hard and awkward and they're worried about it. And then adding this next level of not having practiced it for a year and a half is going to be sort of, it's going to shut down a lot of kids, I think. I think we're going to see a lot of kids, you know, at recess retreating to the corner on the playground by themselves and just not putting themselves out there. But if they know that they have someone they can go to and they can talk about those things and they can really lean on them when something big comes up and they're really uncomfortable and struggling is huge, huge. And you make such a good point about introducing them ahead of time before it gets Mm -hmm. to an intervention component, because we want our kids to realize that these people can support them 
And they're not just there for when things go wrong, right? That they're there to hear the good things, that they're there to talk through things that, that kids are having trouble with. And, you know, as parents over the summer, we can start talking about those things and like, you know, preparing kids and having role play conversations, but knowing that there's somebody to go to, to talk through these things ahead of time is so important because you don't want somebody who just comes in and feels like the crisis supporter, Mm -hmm. right? Because they want to feel successful from the outset and knowing that there's somebody there, you know, guidance counselors have just been such a support in our family as well, as well as, you know, case managers. We've had some really great relationships. And and even, you know, my son who graduated around the same time your son did during this pandemic had a relationship with, you know, a really good friendship with one of his teachers who was the person he could go to and talk to even Mm -hmm. after he wasn't in his class anymore. You know, for four years of high school, this was his go-to teacher. And he could just go to him and say, you know, I don't understand what just happened in this class here. I'm not sure what this interaction means. I don't know if I did it well. I don't know if I said something wrong. And that teacher was able to really help him through it. So I, I wouldn't undervalue the support of that one person that your child really feels connected to. Because teachers, you know, they go into teaching because they want to be around and support and help students. Mm -hmm. And when they build that relationship, sometimes it's just that one person who makes the difference. And for parents, I think that's a comforting thing because we can't always be that one person. All it takes is one caring adult, Yeah, which is Josh Shipp's phrase, but it has stuck with me over the years. All it takes is one caring adult. It doesn't have to be the guidance counselor. It doesn't have to be the special ed teacher. It could be a teacher. It could be a cafeteria worker. It could be a school janitor. Anybody that your kid connects with and will celebrate successes with them, but also support them when things are hard. That's what they need. That's gold. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, you know, those 47% of kids who are avoiding going to school, maybe that's going to come down considerably. You know, that one caring adult will make them want to get up in the morning and go to school. And that's what we can hope for. Yes. I think that's a great place to wrap up too. I, again, so always appreciate talking to you, Amanda, and having you on the podcast and in our summits and such valuable information that you're always sharing. And of course, I'm always sharing understood.org too, because it is such a huge, valuable resource for parents like us who are raising neurodiverse children. And I encourage everyone to definitely go to understood.org. We will put that in the show notes, as well as some other links to the study if you want to read more about the study and and the results of that as well. In the show notes for this episode, we'll be at parentingadhdandautism.com slash 134 for episode 134. Thanks again, Amanda. Thank you. Take care. You too. We'll end the episode now and I'll see everyone next time. Thanks for joining me on the Parenting ADHD podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. And don't forget to check out my online courses, parent coaching, and mama retreats at parentingadhdandautism.com.